Hi, I'm Biz. I'm a working parent with a kid and a teen. It's been 10 years since the show began, and a lot has changed on the show and in the world. But by elevating the voices of others, we have learned we are not alone, and we are doing a good job. This is still a show about life after giving life. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, female bodies are weird. Let's just punish them. I welcome back Eleanor Cleghorn to talk more about her book, Unwell Women. Plus, Biz Talks Biz. Woo! This is a check-in, I guess. Hi, Biz. Hi, Teresa still. I know. (laughs) So this morning, I took the day off from work because it's the day after Halloween. I knew we were going to be up a little later than intended. That's just how it goes. My daughter could sleep in a little bit. She's five and a half. That way she doesn't have to get dropped off at daycare and then go to kindergarten like we normally do. She works so early. She can sleep in. We can have breakfast together. She can go to kindergarten. I get a few hours to myself. It's going to be great. Never happens. Didn't happen. We got to the school and there was a fire truck. Everybody's fine. No fire. But there's a hot smell in the school. And then they called the HVAC people to come check on it. Well, right before we'd pulled in, I realized we'd forgotten her backpack, so I guess it's partially a failed too. So, okay, we live 15 minutes away from the school, one way. We'll go back, get the backpack, come back, see how it's going. We do. We get back to the school. Oh, we haven't had a chance to send a message out yet that the HVAC people said it's not safe to start school yet. They have to have more time to look into it. So, no school today, and now we're home together. And, you know, it's fine. That's how it goes. (laughs) But it's been a weird morning, and Mm. I don't know why I thought I was going to have a couple of hours to myself. Silly, right? (laughs) Anyways, got to go. Thanks for your show. Thanks for everything. You're doing a great job. Bye. It's fucking ridiculous that you thought you were going to have a couple of hours to yourself. Oh, my God. This is (laughs) the most relatable Relatable. You know, my sister, Helen Michelle, likes to say, enjoyable. I think mine is relatable. (laughs) First of all, you're doing a very good job. What tired me out was the back and forth, the driving, the it's the pivoting that had to happen. There was pivoting in the morning. Multiple times you had to pivot from what you thought was going to happen. And let's all be honest that when we have a plan, and we realize that that's not going to happen, we think, okay, but fine, I'm going to lose an hour, but they're going to go to kindergarten, and that, oh, okay, well, we'll go home and get the backpack, and then I'm going to drop them off, and then I'll have the time, and you go back, and we didn't have a chance to send an email out, and like, the, the reality settles in, that's tiring, and just the driving back and forth. I know it's 15 minutes, and I know there are large problems in the world that need our attention. Simultaneously, I just want to say that I acknowledge and see you, and I think it's fair for us to say it's not all right that you didn't get a few hours to yourself. Not okay. It's okay. It's separate from loving your child. That is separate from rolling with it because you deserve a couple of hours by yourself. And oh, you put so much thoughtful planning into this. You are doing a really good job. And I, I'm sorry that that just did not work out as planned. And, you know, just another log onto the emotionally draining and tiring fire that is parenting. <laughs> this podcast has taken a spin, hasn't it? Anywho, you're doing a really good job. Uh, how am I? One, I'll give you an update. My mother, who has been diagnosed with cancer uh, throughout her abdomen, we had a procedure done where they went in to do some diagnostic testing. We're still waiting on those results, but she went through that really well and is recovering nicely. And uh, we are all looking forward to more information. And I am very thankful to my sister who came out and was here again and was very helpful in helping care for the folks, as well as get their Christmas tree up, so that when Mama returned from the procedure, not only was their Christmas tree set up, a brand new 
white. I think it's white. Yes, it was white and pink. It was very beautiful pinky white tree with amazing decorations. I'm now going to get a call from my sister being like, it was a white tree. Anyway, it's beautiful and magical. I would also like to say holidays are coming and it's finally happened. We made new merch, everybody. We have made and updated some merch. Not only is merch available in sizes up to 5X. I was I just want everybody to know, I'm so glad that Max Fun has changed how and where they're getting the merch from at this point. It really allowed me to finally get the size availability that I know listeners have been asking for. And we've got a lot of options, basically. And also, t-shirts are very important to me. I love a t-shirt. Not just one by mother t-shirts. I want a shirt that is soft and comfortable and makes me feel good to have it on. And so I really worked with them to make sure that we could get specific material and brands and types of shirts and sweatshirts. And every time they'd be like, it's just going to be a little more money. I don't care anymore, guys. I'm too old to care. I would rather it cost three bucks more and feel good and fit than be cheap and disappointing when you get it. So there is now, welcome to the low bar. The low bar has become a shirt, everybody. There is an updated, I visited the One Bad Mother National Forest shirt, which is amazing. And the little checkbox, I did a thing shirt, which I really enjoy. Did a thing. And you can pick what color your shirt is. It's a bat. Oh, and there's a trucker hat. Trucker hat. Finally in just for me. (laughs) So head over to MaximumFun.org. Up at the top, you'll see a little button for a store. And then you hit the little store button and there's merch. And we'll link it all up in the show notes, of course. But it's all happening at the zoo. And I want to remind everybody that all proceeds from One Bad Mother merch goes to the National Abortion Fund Network. All of the One Bad Mother merch. So go get one of every shirt. Get a hat. Get all the things. Support the show as well as support funding for abortion clinics throughout the country who don't have resources. Again, you can go to, Gabe has just informed me, I could have just said maxfundstore.com. Huh. Thank you, Gabe for doing that one simple step that I should have done uh, and didn't. So yay for Gabe. Oh, and you know, this is also a little piece of business that I haven't mentioned in a bazillion years. And that is, you know what? Look at me taking ownership of a podcast and my job and say, go over to iTunes if you haven't in a while. Click like, maybe add a star or a nice review. I'm getting a little tired of One Bad Mother not making its way to the top bar around Mother's Day weekend and other holidays. So click, 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 click over there on iTunes. I would appreciate it. What I also enjoy is the brutal, true crime nature of the history of the medical treatment and research of female bodies, which is why we're bringing Eleanor Cleghorn back to talk a little more about her book, Unwell Women, specifically witches. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Biz and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. One Bad Mother is supported in part by StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible questions. And you can also come up with your own questions. 
Like, what did you get busted for in high school that you've never told me about, but now that I'm older and have children in my own house, you're comfortable telling me? (laughs) Give your loved ones a thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash badmother and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash badmother to save $10 on your first purchase. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Listen, you like podcasts, right? Sure you do. Don't try and lie to me. You're listening to one right now, so why not try a different one called R1, The Flophouse? Uh-huh, and on The Flophouse, we watch a movie and talk about it. And then sometimes we also do other stuff. It's all meant to be funny and fun, and we think you'll have a good time. And just to be clear, the name of the podcast is not Our One, The Flophouse. It's just called The Flophouse. <laughs> I do a lot of correcting Dan. The Flophouse, a lot of correcting Dan. Oh, everybody, I am so, I am so excited. We are welcoming back Eleanor Cleghorn, who you may remember from one of our previous episodes, who has a background in feminist culture and history. After receiving her PhD in humanities and cultural studies in 2012, Eleanor worked for three years as a postdoctoral researcher at the Ruskin School of Art at the University of Oxford on an interdisciplinary arts and medical humanities project. And in 2017, she was shortlisted for the Fitzcarraldo Editions Essay Prize and has since written creatively about her experience of chronic illness, including my favorite beach read ever, her 2021 book, Unwell Women. She now works as a freelance writer and researcher and lives in Sussex. Welcome back, Eleanor. Thank you so much for having me. I am overjoyed to be back. Before we jump in, more opportunities for you to lay some facts out and for me to scream, oh my God, at it. I want to just check in. You know, you never know what might have changed and ask who lives in your house. The people who live in my house, the human people, are my husband, Matt, my two sons, who are 15 and 13 and probably like a foot taller than the last time we spoke. (laughs) And then we have, in ascending order of age, Gus, who is a cockapoo, a pandemic puppy, (laughs) May, who is a rabbit, Rocky and Maui, who are my two black cats, (laughs) and Bob, the noble Labrador. Okay, one of my favorite chapters is uh, chapter two. It's fairly early in the but I liked all the chapters. But this was called Possessed and Polluting, <laughs> the Biz Ellis story. <laughs> this was around the like late, mid to late 1300s, early 1400s, really sets us up for the witch trials and the witch hunts in the 1500s. But it was basically this time when the idea that menstruation was the root of all women's evils and, in fact, made them super natural, put a little pause between those two. And we had Christine de Pizan, who was the only woman of letters in France, and she wrote the book, The Book of City Ladies. Tell me a little bit. I mean, it's not like we don't want to spend all the time on men who know nothing about women's bodies writing books. But I I would like to start with her, who she was, why she wrote the book, and the competing book at the time on the secrets of women. So Christine de Pizan was, as you say, a French woman of letters, one of the only professional women writers in Europe at the time. And Christine wrote... She's often considered one of the you know, first feminist writers because she was really exploring through her writing some of the social conditions that denigrated women and especially around their incredible achievements in history, which so often <laughs> went, you know, diminished, hidden, locked away by men. So the Book of the City of Ladies is an incredible book highly, highly recommended, where Christine is rescuing all these incredible women. We're talking writers, artists, 
warriors, mythological figures. She's rescuing them and putting them inside an imaginary city that she is building and fortifying against this horrendous sexist and misogynistic ideas that come to denigrate women's achievements. And early in the book, Christine, in the guise of narrator, the, the sort of woman, the journey woman who takes us around this city of ladies, she's visited by Lady Reason, the personification of reason. And Lady Reason and Christine have a really fun conversation. And Christine asks Lady Reason why it is that Christian men are so intent on writing terrible and awful things about women's <laughs> bodies. Now, quick Sorry. disclaimer. Christine de Pisa is a Christian. She's a Christian woman. But she also understands that these men who proclaim in the name of their religion that women's bodies are sinful, deceitful, messy, vile, are exploiting the fundamentals of the Christian religion for their own misogynistic ends. So she asked Lady Reason and she says, well, why would any Christian man want to say something so terrible about women? If God created women, why on earth would these men want to denigrate them so much? And Lady Reason tells her that all she needs to do is think about her own body, the body that she lives in, the body that she possesses, to know that all this is just nonsense, bro-flake <laughs> propaganda that's completely ridiculous and should be consigned to the waste bin. Christine is particularly alarmed by what she calls a little book in Latin that's called The Secrets of Women. And it was written around the same time that Pizan wrote The City of Ladies. And it was purportedly a book written for celibate churchmen who, mm. let's remember, had vowed never to go anywhere near a woman's body, let alone actually touch it, understand it, figure out what it was all about. It was a book that was supposed to instruct these celibate men in the facts of life as they occurred within women's bodies. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, let's just, I want to stop right there. First of all, Vipazan, now I want to read that book. That's going to be my on my business summer beach reads of 2023. Also, I'm like, of course she was trying to imagine a like a place. That I was like, they're a mosquito! It's wonderful that we just have everybody, everybody on the island. Now we can shift over to Crazy Town, which is this little book, The Secrets of Women. And I, I just want to, again, clarify, this is written for priests and celibate monks who want nothing to do with women. Why on earth? earth would they need this book outside of it essentially being like you know scare porn I, I you're onto something there <laughs> scare porn it indeed was but ostensibly the man who wrote it who we're really getting in the weeds here but he was an anonymous <laughs> follower oh. of St Albert the Great who wrote encyclopedias about the natural world in the middle ages now, this chap who wrote Secrets of Women was pretending to be Albert the Great. If you're still with me. I'm here. So he's not only a scarepawn monger, he's also a fraud. <laughs> Very important <laughs> to remember this. Context is everything. Thank you for distinguishing that. Because once again, I feel like there's a theme. There are multiple themes that run through your book. But this one plays nicely into the theme of complete morons with no knowledge speaking as experts on, on things. And I, I want to take some time because I find this just so silly. It's laughable. I would like to, to focus some on some of the things that this very helpful person laid out about women. 
And what's amazing is you even write, this is not even, you start off describing and then you say, but beneath the absurdity of this author's revelations. And then you begin to list things that I think are even more absurd. Like, okay, women, female organs, and their devilish influence on women's characters and temperament, that's included. Women are to blame for all infertility, miscarriages, and birth defects, and the abhorrence of their bodies. I'm pretty sure that just means menstruation. (laughs) Also drives them to commit immoral acts of the most grievous kind when menstruating everybody, and a majority of you are doing it right now. You can become so vindictive towards men that they seek out the most inventive ways to harm them. Okay, and my favorite is basically a woman tricking a man into having sex, but what he doesn't know is that she has inserted pieces of iron inside her vagina to mortally wound his penis. I'm getting a face from Gabe. I don't blame you. I also am trying to imagine this As a woman, I also make a face because I don't want to shove metal iron pieces into my... Ow! (laughs) I'm, again, Eleanor, trying to get my head around how this is a beneficial story that serves any purpose in a book. The the purpose that we know it serves (laughs) is to fear-monger and to stoke the fires of suspicion and distrust around women's bodies, around what women's bodies might be capable of, but also around what women know about their bodies. The ostensible purpose of his book was to educate these celibate men about how babies were made, effectively. (laughs) And under the guise that these priests, monks, churchmen might at some point have to help a woman of their parish who was in need of some kind of reproductive health care. Now, if you were on the end, on the receiving end of any kind of reproductive health care that was sourced from this book, I yeah. would take your pieces of iron and run, <laughs> run away. <laughs> but like, I just, why, 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 why? I, I did. I mean, I know we talked about some of this when you were on last time. And we haven't even gotten into the Hammer of Witches book, which is, you know, crazy turned up to 11. Why? Why, Eleanor, have you managed to answer the question as to what the fuck is the benefit of any of this? I mean, from the beginning of time, we've, we, I mean, devils and monsters and vaginas and iron pieces and like menstruation and ah, you deserve to be pain and pain and suffering and it's all your fault why is it i mean was it like a handful of people who really fucking hated women or was it like was the audience so great i mean this stuff we still see it right now i <laughs> thought about a monster and so while i was pregnant so now that's why my I'm going to have a monster, whatever monster means, right? Like, I mean, a monster in this context yeah. is a baby born with a physical and neurological disability by our, by yeah. what we would understand today. And the prejudice and stigma and lack of understanding around where physical and neurological differences came from really began in the Greek and Roman times with the earliest kind of ideas about how women's bodies and how women's thoughts even and perceptions could influence what was happening in utero. And because there was so little accurate understanding about anything to do with the biology of pregnancy, it was very easy to blame miscarriage, infant loss, infant death, congenital disabilities on women because That was the only plausible explanation for these medical men who were creating and owning this knowledge. And because women were universally regarded as essentially reproductive chattel, let's face it, their purpose was to be vessels for these heirs, you know, these heirs who would 
belonged to the fathers. That was their purpose. So they were seen as like these reproductive machines, these sort of, you know, devices. So when the Greek and Roman men who were interested in obstetrics and interested in maternal health, that made sense to them because the way they understood Mm. interactions between the external world and the body and I'm not saying it's good but the problem happens (laughs) when Christianity rears its head in around the third fourth century AD in Europe (laughs) and introduces another way of looking at the maternal body which is that it is the root effectively of sin so we have Eve And Mm -hmm. Eve unleashes all her sin because her female body is, she can't help it. She's irrational. She's weak. She's, she's easily tempted. And as a punishment, mortal women have to suffer the pains of childbirth. On the other side of the coin, we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, whose maternity is so perfect and idealized, it didn't even involve any maternal labor. So how on earth was a woman supposed to exist in this paradigm? On the one hand, vessel of sin. On the other hand, virgin womb. I mean, there's not really a lot to play with there. So things like the secrets of women emerge from a, from a bungling together of old medical theories and new religious, let's call it hatred, of women's carnality, of women's blood, of the mess, the filth, Mm. but also the mystery of their bodies. These men, men like the pseudo-Albertas, the the fraud author of Secrets of Women, didn't like the fact that they didn't know what the heck was going on inside a womb, that women held all this procreative power, that women were these incredible creatures these incredible beings capable of bearing carrying raising nourishing children with their own bodily fluids they didn't like this power and they didn't like the fact they didn't understand it so partly this kind of material it it came from that impulse that that need to control that need to understand and they did it through this very misogynistic lens rather than through any extension of compassion or attempt to understand or attempt to engage with women and ask (laughs) them how their bodies felt. Yuck. (laughs) So to sum that up, ignorance and fear, they just decided to run with it without asking. That's great. That's just great. And sets us up really well. Everybody. It makes me cuckoo because I can't, like, I don't understand. Uh, so many things I don't understand, Eleanor, and most of them uh, revolve around uh, not having burned it all down <laughs> every, you know, hundred years or so. Anywho, my island that Dipazan was talking about, I'm on, I'm in it, I'm in it. All right, I want to jump ahead because we've now laid the groundwork for more misinformation. And so eerily similar to where we are today. And we, I want to move on to one of my other favorite insane monsters. His name was Kramer. He was a big witch hunter and a very big... Hold on, where is that? How about I just ask you? I want to move on. I want to move on. To Henrik Kramer, big witchcraft guy. Tell us about him and his wonderful book, Hammer of Witches. And don't worry, I've underlined all my favorite parts. So go ahead. Okay, so Heinrich Kramer was a fire and brimstone preacher who was very concerned about heretic acts against the church, against the Catholic church. And he was appointed by order of a papal bull, so a papal Mm. order, that he could punish and try people for acts of heresy, so acts kind of committed against Catholicism. And he was particularly worried about 
acts of heresy that might be committed by women. <laughs> and he wrote this book, The Hammer of Witches, which is probably the most notorious of the witch hunt manuals, let's call it that, the manuals, the guides to how to spot, identify, try and execute women, mostly women, mm. for presumed acts of malevolency. And he was very certain <laughs> that what women who practice witchcraft were doing mm -hmm. was consorting with the devil. So let's get this clear. Having sex with the devil who was assuming the form of a creature or a man what? or some other thing hmm. and uh, that they were having, you know, relations in the night with the devil in whatever form he would decide to take. And then through this, you know, coupling, this devilish coupling, women were being driven to commit, again, the most grievous and heinous acts. And one group of people that Heinrich Kramer was very suspicious of were midwives. Mm. And he stated, no one does more harm to the Catholic faith than midwives. Mm. And yeah. in his book, which is a nasty, nasty read, I'm not going to recommend that as a beach read, I have to say. He talks about these awful practices of, you know, destroying fetuses in the womb, of, you know, tearing apart babies for occult magical practices. Hmm. One thing I think that's really important to say is that what Kramer did that was so chilling was that he radically expanded the parameters of what a malevolent or witchy act might entail. So rather than things like, you know, transforming a child into a goat, let's say, you know, back of a fag packet, he also inferred that malevolence could come through really quite normal acts, like, you know, making a neighbour's cow stop producing milk or making a neighbour's bucket fall into a well. So what this did was really create all this suspicion around some of the more ordinary acts that women might yeah. be associated with and cast them as vicious, deceitful and malevolent. And because what he'd already done is made this character of the witch as being an older woman, possibly who was divorced or widowed, who was probably going through menopause, who might have a smart mouth, who might be outspoken, who might be single. He was creating this caricature of women who did not toe that domestic line of marriage and motherhood and keep their mouths shut, could have fingers pointed at them for assumed acts of witchcraft. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, <clears throat> so that's a pretty high bar, first of all. So if you don't get married, regardless of the numbers game that may be happening in your particular neighborhood or area, right? Uh, you're, you're out. You're shit out of luck. Let's say you're married to somebody who's infertile. Well, we would never have even known that because that can't be possible. So which, but I, one of the things that I, I love so much in a weird fucked up way, because it's absurd, is in order to even get the devil to notice you, you, you had to have one of three very specific vices, vices, everybody. And one of three, one of three, uh, infidelity. Okay. Okay. Sure. Infidelity. Fine. Oh, ambition. See, now that's broad. That's two. That's broad. Ambition. And then lust. So I feel like lust and infidelity, those just kind of go hand in hand, heaven forbid. And infidelity, let's all remember what we can distinguish as infidelity. And this is very true in many countries uh, around the world right now. Victims of rape and incest can be considered the, uh, the infidel, right? So, boom, witch. And then ambition. You wanna, do you want to learn something? How, Daddy, how do I milk this cow? Witch. 
I guess. I don't even know what people were trying to learn at this point. I don't see how any movie I've ever seen in which a woman seems happy in a period drama or period comedy or period whatever could possibly be true. I, I just, I'm like, how? How is that? Everything's a lie. And the lust, again, we still have this. Now, this is very prevalent right now, this idea that women uh, aren't supposed to, you know, connect with their sexuality, with the fact that they are sexual creatures and have, you know, interests and desires. And yeah, that's a, that's a no. Yeah, you want to learn to read? You're a witch, like, that is broad, my friend. Those are some broad guidelines in order to punish, uh, not just punish, to murder, to just murder women. It's a terrifyingly broad church. But what it did was give ordinary people across oh. Europe, between the 15th and 17th century, this is where the majority of witch trials took place across Europe. It gave people in villages, in rural communities, where lots of events were happening that they didn't understand, famines, illness, poverty, baby loss, you know, all yeah. the things that they couldn't control. It gave them the opportunity to blame and scapegoat certain people within their communities for ill acts. And by creating this sort of spinster crone woman who could be held responsible for these kinds of acts, he was also creating this idea of a marginal, more marginal woman who seemed to have her shit together, who seemed to have some independent control perhaps over her life and her <laughs> thoughts, which of course was incredibly terrifying, as we know, to men in yeah. the Middle Ages, women who, who had any sort of familiarity, intimacy with their bodies, with their thoughts, with their minds. So this is what's so terrifying. So the Hammer of Witches was a was a bonkers thing. It was a bonkers manual. And it also went into gross detail about how you could torture women when they were accused to extract confessions from them. And I remember reading the other day some comment or something somewhere that said well why did so many women confess if witchcraft's not a real thing <laughs> if it was really about petty crime and petty grievance why did so many women confess well what are you gonna do if you are starved tortured put in the dark not given any water sent half crazy for days what are you gonna do and this was also what was so terrifying is that, you know, witchcraft was a placeholder for other things. You know, it was a way of scapegoating women for social, cultural mm -hmm. problems that was all threaded up together with this kind of much broader cultural suspicion about malevolency, the occult, you know, that many sort of kings across Europe were really genuinely scared of. So it was coming from the top, you know, it was sort of circulating around Europe. It wasn't just men like Kramer. It was also coming from the kings of England, the kings of mm. Scotland, you know, who had these really sort of intense fears that their reign and their lineage could be disrupted by malevolency. So it was a real, you know, trend. It was like... <laughs> The mega of the day. It was like the far right nonsense of the day. And, you know, it was easy for a man like Kramer, who was just hell bent on this kind of misogynistic conspiracy that he could rid the world of witches, that he was able to, you know, write and then publish a book that could hold that much influence. Again, witches. Like, I, and again, I, I look, I understand everybody, that uh, science was slow coming around this time period. And, you know, the eclipse comes and the sun is eating the moon. And you know, I get it. I know. I understand. I got it. But I'm like, what malevolence and spooky shit was happening that even gave them, right? Like, I mean, if we're looking at, is, is it, I answered my own question, everybody. I know it's because they didn't understand it. But it's also so interesting 
to think that these people of power who didn't get it because they were smart, these people of power believed that witches were real, that their reign might be taken down by, you know, a spell or something spooky or turning the, you know, I've seen several different adaptations of King Arthur and witches and all that stuff. And isn't it romantic? Isn't it romantic? Anyway, I'm going to jab a pen in my eye. <laughs> I also really like that somebody was asking this question about why did they, and you, why did they admit to it? And you presented it as if you were possibly having a, you know, intellectual discussion with someone when I, all I can imagine that question is like on a message board, right? Like, or like you're in your, like, like a review of the book. No, if this was true, but this is where I kind of want to wrap up because we could talk forever. And that is, this is true. This is true. And once again, I think about, you know, the cultural obsession with, true crime and these sorts of uh, things that we watch for entertainment and the impact of of this true crime of these true crimes of ignorance and fear-mongering and scare porn and all of these things that happened to women things so unbelievably cruel that they would uh, agree to being called a witch knowing they're going to die, right? I mean, like you have a choice of being tortured to death or just dying. But those were your choices. And the impact that it still has. I, I mean, you know, my mom is going through some medical things right now, some cancer, and, you know, we're trying to get an idea of like what's going on. But I, I your book stays with me all the time of... Is that the right question they're asking? Should we be looking at X, Y, or Z? Have these things been taken into consideration? How much do we know now? And I just, I don't know. Can we end on a good story? Can we end on what came out of this particular time period? Because some good did come out of this time period. It did. And the good, believe it or not, came from medicine. Yeah, I know. It came from the burgeoning science at the time of actually trying to think about what might be happening in women's bodies that wasn't necessarily linked to the devil um, where women were not necessarily devil puppets but were possibly you know human beings with biological organs weird who knew anyway so what came out of it was really a deeper understanding about what might be happening in women's bodies whereby doctors, who, by the way, were often called in as sort of expert witnesses in witch trials because they were able to cast a much more rational and balanced view over where these so-called symptoms of possession or enchantment might actually be coming from. And bearing in mind that witchcraft was a very <laughs> useful piece of information for people with petty grudges, grievances maybe even with mental health issues that they could, you know, sort of claim something was happening to them and say that dotty old woman over there, she did it. <laughs> Doctors would come in and often be the voices of reason. Now, notwithstanding the fact that what we're <laughs> going to get next is that capital H word, hysteria. Oh, Before hysteria became the behemoth that we know it became, it was actually a way for male physicians to think about, okay, this girl says she's possessed. Maybe she has something that now we might call postmenstrual dysphoria, perhaps, or maybe just, you know, something, some other underlying pain-causing health condition that because it was undiagnosed was making her feel unhinged who knows but at least they were trying to bring this back to some kind of truth in the body to some kind of rationality about what was happening and not to this completely sort of deranged assumption that all that was happening beneath a woman's skin 
was kind of the devil's plaything. Nope, it's just hysteria. So buckle up, everybody. Going forward, it's yeah. no longer the devil's fault. We're just nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, aren't you fragile? Ooh, I'm not fragile enough. No. Oh, and by the way, you know, this is always geared towards a very select group of women that are deemed worthy of even considering that they might not be the devil. But again, mm-hmm. we're just going to have to save that for another day. Eleanor, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> you know, a nice so New Year's. This, it's the holiday season, guys. It's clearly what we need to be talking about. Absolutely, we do. <laughs> Um, we didn't talk about the uh, the chap who accused a witch of, of casting, and I'm going to quote, casting some glamour over his penis yes! and making it disappear. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I liked that one a lot. There were several stories we did not get into. But you know what's interesting? You had one in there about a young girl who said that a witch had basically caused all these pins to be coming out of her body. But like, there's actually a whole subset of what they call like the traveling needle or the travel, which is not separate. It's separate from this, but just this hat, you know, somebody starts pulling a needle out of something somewhere and they're like, we don't even know how that happened, which is, I'm sure for a different expert. But that one, those pins kept coming long after they killed that witch. Not just (laughs) pins, but a bit of an old window ledge, all sorts of things. Probably yeah. a candlestick. You name it, it was just coming up and it kept coming. <laughs> oh, there are my keys. <laughs> Everybody. Yes. Go get, go get, God. <laughs> I just really could think about all the jokes. All right. Everybody, go get your beach read, Unwell Women, Misdiagnosis and Myth in a Man-Made World. While it is definitely heavy, it's not... I don't know. I I find it invigorating. You know, it's like I can't watch a Jeffrey Dahmer video, but I will read this and jump up and down. And I mean, I have cannot tell you all the people who's like in Carline, I would yell out the window at somebody I knew. Did you just know? Or then like there's a whole story on the feminist movement that's great. Makes me want to go back and reread Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I mean... This is it, guys. This is this is fun. So we'll link everybody up to where you can get a book. You all know where you can get a book, but throw it on your holiday wish list. And thank you so much, Eleanor. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a total blast. One Bad Mother is supported in part by Dipsy. Self-care is important. Ha ha! But we've also learned that once kids get into your house, it can be ephemeral. Transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires without leaving home with Dipsy. Dipsy is an app of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Radically inclusive, Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. This is truly an app that gives back to you. (laughs) For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash badmother. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash badmother. Dipsystories.com slash badmother. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time. Genius me, me. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did.
attention. Oh my god. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, mom, are a genius. Oh my god, that's fucking genius. Okay. I almost didn't have a birthday plan for Ellis. Almost. His birthday. And, you know, Thanksgiving, holidays, school breaks. We all know Christmas is coming. Their birthday's the 30th of November. I mean, it's a weird time. And I don't know, we were all just kind of dilly-dallying stuff and was traveling, mama's health. I mean, you know, it's a lot. But we whipped it together. And we are doing a party at a park on a Saturday morning because we're going to get a motherfucking magician. And the magician could only come at 10.30. So we spun this bad boy into a breakfast bar-like Cereal monstrosity of sugar, cereal, donuts, bagels, just high times at the park for Ellis, plus a magician. Anyway, I think it'll be fun, and I feel good because we actually sent invitations out for it. So now it has to happen. Hey, Biz. I'm calling in with a genius. So my genius this week is I gave up. I gave up. I'm done. I'm so done. I, at the beginning of the summer, I picked out way too many projects for myself. I was very ambitious. I thought each one of these was, oh, just going to take a weekend or so. This summer, I have built an entire treehouse. I have put together a trampoline. I have completely redone the yard. I have chainsawed hedges. I have ripped all the carpeting out of my living room, and I have painted the walls. And the last thing on my list was I was going to put new flooring down where I ripped out the carpeting in the living room. And I really tried. I tried so hard. My body hurts. And you know what? This week I gave up, and I called a professional. And it cost a good amount of money, but honestly, I'm not even mad about that because my floor is done and it took them one day. One day. That's it. It has taken me a month to try to even think about getting to where this room is now. So, yeah, that's my genius. I am very proud of you. You are a genius. Look, we are built clearly of a similar material. I realized I was trying to do a cut from the same cloth uh, reference, and it, I didn't didn't get there. I did something else. But I, too, I, I well, no, we may be built from the same things, but you are of much sturdier stock. Jesus with the chainsaw. I love you. You are my hero. You've done enough. Not only... Have you done enough? You have also proven to anybody who exists in the world that you could do it. Now, your genius is proving that you don't have to do it this time. That's not going to stop you from, like, doing other projects. But sometimes, if you just want to get it done, you got to ask for help and just so that you can move on to other things. You're amazing. And you're doing a good job doing nothing. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. Okay, failure time. So several, I'm going to say months now. Maybe it's been two, but it makes it more dramatic if I say several months. Teresa and I went on a walk And she knows that I sew. And she said one of the children's doll's legs had been ripped off. And would I sew them back on? And I said, yes, of course. Easy fucking peasy. I'm looking at it because it lives in a Starbucks bag. uh, Because that is how it was delivered. And the legs are still not on. So I, I just really failing at that one and luckily it's not like 
some sort of lovey that must be had right now. But like, you know, that point where it moves from I've waited too long to we should just start to prepare the children that we're never going to see this particular stuff. Or I get it back and they're off to college and everybody's like, I totally don't even remember this or why it was important. Like we're entering that phase of uh, my fail uh, taking on that life. So there you go. Hi, this is a fail. So on Halloween, both of my kids got balloons from Grammy. And when I was putting them in the car, I closed the door and popped my four-year-old's balloon. And she was not pleased with me. And I apologized and reminded her we had balloons at home. And then a couple days later, it was 72 in northern Illinois in November. And I was like, I'm going to roll down my windows. I'm going to open my moonroof. And... I'm accelerating when my roof is open, and I see the balloon coming up, and I go to grab it, and and like comically trying to grab it, and then it just flies out the moonroof. I didn't even see it go out, but I saw it in my rearview mirror, just being floating free into the wild. So I'm an asshole because I destroyed both of my kids' balloons. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Oh, God. Balloon fail is really one of the top 10 worst fails um uh, oh everything about this hurts i am really sorry yeah a the fail is even thinking your children can have balloons okay i learned that lesson very early on and that still comes back and bites me so you thought you could give your kids balloons and you immediately were told by the universe that you could not by having the first one pop. Now, if I heard this fail correctly, that means the other child's balloon was just like in the car for like a couple of days. Is that right? Because it doesn't sound like the moonroof happened on the same day. So did that kid even care that they had a balloon? But I understand how the balloon could become a resident of the car for years, to be perfectly honest. Balloons, I think, go right up there with glitter and rocks and stickers as just things you shouldn't allow in your house. You're doing a horrible job thinking that balloons are enjoyable and that you can avoid teaching your children the life lessons of balloon tragedies. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. I love you, I love you. Hey, it's John Moe, inviting you to listen to Depression Mode with John Moe, where I talk about mental health and the lives we live with all kinds of people. Famous writers. David Sedaris, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Movie stars. Jamie Lee Curtis, welcome to Depression Mode. I am happy to be here. Musicians. I am in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm talking to Amy Mann. Great to talk to you. And song exploders. Rishikesh Hirway, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Everyone's opening up on Depression Mode on Maximum Fun. All right, everybody. It's time to listen to a mom have a breakdown. Oh my goodness, I'm definitely having a breakdown. I gosh, it's 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 so stupid that this is the final straw. But I just found freaking mouse poop and kitchen cabinets and everything, and I just I was really hoping that this is just gonna be a relaxing night and everything. Like my my fiance got fired from his job for very stupid reasons, like two months ago. And he still hasn't found another job, which I get it. It's just but it's just he's home all the time and he worked evenings a lot before, so I had the house to myself a lot. And no did I don't have any kids. Gosh, I don't know how parents can do that with like just not having any alone time. Holy crap, I'm a suck, but like, he's just home all the time, except on Mondays where 
he's part of a community theater thing, so he's gone in the evenings, and his show is going to be coming up this week, so this is going to be the last time I at the house to myself. And, of course, I found freaking no soup in the kitchen, and I just don't want to deal with this right now. And I just, this is not how I wanted to spend my last evening. It's just by myself, figuring out what to do. Gosh. Holy crap, I don't know how other people who have kids can just, the house a house to this house on a regular basis. I didn't realize how much I needed that. Oh my gosh, and this. Oh gosh. Oh goodness. I'm sorry I call it to this hotline a lot. I'm not, I'm not a mom or anything. I don't have any kids. But. Man, I've just been stressed out lately. Thanks, thanks for this. Uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. You're also doing a good job. You know, people with kids in their house don't, you know, have a corner on the completely breakdownable market uh, that is the need uh, for space. So one, you're doing a good job. And two, yeah, no, look, kids are no kids in your house. Not having alone time, not having time that is truly dedicated to yourself with that quiet or that whatever it is, whatever it is that you fill that with, a shower. I, eh, I don't even want to say that because if there are people always in your house, even a shower isn't much because you're just going to get out of the shower and have to step back out there to be interrupted, right? Like... Our shower gets, like, it gets so hot in the bathroom. And I know that by the time I get my hair dried, I and, and then I got to do the hot rollers because that's who I am, I'm going to be burning up and it's just, the hair's going to go flat right away. So I know I have to open the door to cool things off. But I also know that the moment I open the door, I will be interrupted. I, on a good day, it's just a cat that comes in and demands belly rubs. But on most days... It's children who are like, mama's out. And I'm not technically out. I just wanted things to cool down so I could roll my hair. And I, I get it. And I look, all the situations that we find ourselves in that are no one's fault or we can have all the understanding in the world as to why things are the way that they are in that particular moment. But that does not outweigh your needs that are separate from that situation. You asked a very important question, how does anyone do it? And the answer is they don't. Okay, can we just all begin to accept that the answer is they don't. It doesn't matter what picture they put on Facebook. It does not matter what they look like at Carline. It does not matter if they sent out holiday cards. None of those things matter. That is one fraction of the entire picture, okay? No one is getting it all done. All we're seeing are small wins that are really, in the grand scheme of things, small, but when you can't get anything done and everything's impossible, they become monumental. Again, the good news is you can't. You can't do it. No one's doing it. No one's doing it. Every, if you are doing it, you're doing it, not doing it, okay? So you are doing a good job. Everybody, I enjoyed speaking with Eleanor Cleghorn again, because I, I do find what she writes about so shocking. And I am aware how privileged I am that I can clasp my pearls at some of the things that happened like hundreds of years ago. That said, I also can be aware of its impact. All of these things, not pushing, not advocating, not asking questions, are detrimental to us. But even more detrimental 
is the fear that comes from ignorance. And when kids get into your house, we have been asking these questions since the beginning. Why do I feel this way? Why is this so hard? Why is it assumed it shouldn't be hard? Why am I feeling guilty about this? Why do I feel guilty about that? All of that stems from this. So my favorite thing about reading this book is that it serves as a reminder that when those questions come up in my head, that I shouldn't. The answer is don't. Don't feel bad about that. It's not your fault that X, Y, and Z happened. You're not supposed to suffer just for the sake of suffering or as some sort of punishment for something that isn't real. And especially to stop feeling like shit for being a parent. So I just want to say to all of you that you are doing a remarkable job and that it is truly impossible. There is not a show that goes by in which I don't listen to calls and think that our theory that it's too much all the time is not proven correct. Every time, every time you're dealing with childcare, you're dealing with work, you're dealing with relationships, you're dealing with health issues, you're dealing with pain management, you're dealing with financial responsibilities, you're dealing with maybe you're part of the sandwich generation. The list goes on and on. It's not easy. So stop making yourself feel bad because you don't think it's easy. You're all doing a remarkable job. I will talk to you next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Gabe Mara, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, Daddy, baby, bustin' by, got low down mama blues. Oh, said Daddy, baby, bustin' by, got low down mama blues. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.